one, two, one, two. What's up, Apple Pop? Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> What's going on with you today? Oh, you know, not a whole lot. Had had an eventful couple of days uh, that I was telling you about. Um, but other than that, nothing today. Thankfully, it's been quiet in the uh, the household today. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to say that, well, let me just go ahead and throw out here that today we're talking about um, Gabriel Hernandez. That's Her- how you Fernandez with an F. Yeah. Keep saying that. I was just talking um, to Dylan. I was talking to Dylan about saying. Um, sorry. Okay. So what I was gonna say is, what, is this thing gonna give me issues today? You bet. I was gonna say we, you guys, we just had like a a mic check off the air and everything was cool and I didn't want to interrupt you but I was going to tell you hey it's cut out like twice now since you've been talking what's going on it was working perfect when we did our test always want to show off (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to be able to get through this podcast dry eyed I just want to throw that out there if anybody doesn't like to hear people cry or something like that just go ahead and tune off because I'm not going to be able to get through this with a dry eye I know it already I know. Yeah, the um, it's it's very any any kind of trigger warning, I guess, should be said at this point. It's a very difficult uh, discussion if you haven't if you've been living under a rock and you haven't seen uh, anything Netflix related, or maybe you just don't have Netflix. Um, then you may not know about it. But right now, it's the number one watched uh, item on Netflix, and um, it, it it came across. It came on my. It showed up on mine because I watched stuff similar to this. Um, like I watched uh, "Don't Fuck with Cats" and I watched, um, you know, uh, "I Am a Killer" and and stuff like that. So it popped up for me right away as something that I probably would want to see. And um, it uh, it it was it was very difficult to watch. It was very difficult to to sit through. And we just wanted to, since it is so relevant, we just wanted to have a little discussion about it and, um, you know, maybe veer off on some other uh, documentaries too. Like, um, I, did you watch Don't Fuck With Cats? I can't remember. Girl. Well, first of all, you're the one, you're my go-to because you informed me of all this stuff because I don't, I'm not really like, we had cable at one point in time. Nobody watched it at all. It was just, and I only got it because I had to get a phone line, a landline um, for my office. And it was like a package. So I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Well, you know, then after the package, it goes from like $50 to 125 for the mm-hmm. same shit. You know what I mean? And nobody, my kids didn't, don't watch TV. Kaya does, still doesn't watch TV. Nobody was watching it. So I was like, let me cut this off. And we were streaming before I got that package. Well, what I realized is after I got rid of that cable package and had to go back to streaming, I hate searching for shit. I am... <laughs> I'm totally down. If somebody recommends something for me, I'll go straight to it. Check it out. If it's for me, it's for me. If it's not, it's not. It's all good. But sitting there searching, trying to look for something is annoying as hell. So then enter Stacy in my life and says, go watch this. Go look at this. Go watch this. (laughs) (laughs) So before I got this message that you sent me about um, Gabriel, you said, I know how you are. I'm forewarning you that it's going to be really hard to watch, which I really appreciate that because I kind of went in with a mindset like, okay, get your, t- get your tissues, you know, get yourself together, you know, kind of thing um, to try and watch it. 
but it didn't help. I bawled through that whole entire thing. Mm -hmm. I literally bawled. It was just, I mean, I come from child abuse. So it it just, it just, I mean, it broke my heart really did. Yeah. It, it it was like we, um, I mean, I got started, I got started, actually, I got, I got the flu last year um, when I was still working at the, the place that I no longer work. And I was out of work for a week and I had you know absolutely nothing to do, which, you know, was wonderful. Um, but I also couldn't go anywhere or do anything productive in any way. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I never watch documentaries because I just, I can't ever get in the mindset to watch a documentary. That was before because now I am hooked. I mean, I cannot stop because it used to be when we were growing up, documentaries were like what the teachers put on and they would yell at you if you started to fall asleep because it was the most boring, mundane shit with the most monotonous voice. Like they had no character. There was no good visual. It was like a a teaching experience. You know, it wasn't an experience, you know, where you felt like you were there or like you, you understood it was it just didn't have any layers, you know, documentaries were just so vapid. <laughs> right. um, but now they're, they're just, they're amazing. And um, I, the first one that I, I got sucked into was actually fire festival. Um, I had sucked into that and was just blown away with all of the details about this guy and what he did and jaw rules part in it. And, I can't even, I can't remember enough of the details to even go into them without getting them wrong, but I highly, highly recommend Fire Festival. It was really, really interesting and twisted and made you so pissed off for these people that thought they were doing this really wonderful thing. And then there's, you know, there's people on the internet saying, well, hey, you know, if you had $100,000 to throw at a festival, fuck you. Well, that's not, these people didn't, I mean, they just because they had money, just because they're affluent, didn't mean that they should be stuck on this island with nothing. Like that, this guy was, wow, he was awful. I've never heard of it. I'm going to have to watch it and then we can talk about it. Oh, definitely do. If you do, um, if you want to, you know, do a, a podcast on that one or a couple of them, I'll go back and like just rewatch some of it so I can get the details again. Because like I said, it's been so long since I watched it. Um, but I... I went from that one and, and continued on. I watched the, um, oh my goodness, uh, what is her name? Casey Anthony. I watched the Casey Anthony one. I watched the, um, why can I not remember her name? The one that was held abroad because she. Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember. Her I'm name. blanking on her name, but yeah, it, she, I watched that one. Um, by the way, my my opinion, Casey Anthony was absolutely 100% guilty, and I have no idea how she got off. And Hell yeah, she was. <laughs> and the other girl that I'm so sorry I'm blanking on her name that was held abroad, um, she was not guilty, in my opinion. She did nothing wrong. She was targeted. She was truly, oh, God. If you haven't seen that one, the stuff they did to this woman it, it was it was, was awful. Amanda Knox was that her name? Thank you. Yes, Amanda Knox. Oh, yes. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I watched that one. Um, recently, I watched. I actually wouldn't have thought I would like it, but I watched the Cheer documentary. Um, that was really really good. Like I'm not, you know, a go team go like the show. No, it's actually a documentary um, about uh, goodness. What is her name? I feel so terrible that names just won't stick in my head, no matter how important I feel like people are, unless I talk to you on a regular basis, I'm going to forget your name. Um, 
but it was a it was a, a documentary about a specific cheer team that was the that is the the number one in the U.S. and they're in a tiny little town, and it's just how hard they work and how you know just what they do. I mean, it's not all about you know like I said, go team, go. It's like cheerleaders are real yeah, athletes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's a sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and you got to be in shape and fit. Oh yeah, that that's definitely and it's not just. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. You're right. Well, and they, there's nowhere to go. Like if you're a cheerleader or a basketball player or a football player, I'm sorry, I said, I meant to say if you are a gymnast or a basketball player or a football player, soccer player in high school and then in through college, well, then you may have somewhere to go after college, you know, or you may be able, some people quit college and go right into, you know, go right into their professional career. Cheerleaders don't have that. There is no professional cheerleading team after college. Once you're out of college, you're done being a cheerleader. So these kids like work their way from sometimes young toddlers, even, you know, being put in these, these classes and coming up and then they do this one last game in their senior year. I'm sorry, this one last, uh, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, event in their senior year of college and then they're just it's 100% done I mean in in the blink of an eye something they worked so hard for is all over with and I can't even imagine that what about major leagues what about cheerleading uh for football and baseball I mean they could still go on after college you know I'm so glad you said that because I feel like people listening would have been like yeah like they would have said the same thing but what they pointed out that was very different is if you watch like let's say you watch a Dallas Cowboys a Redskins and Eagles whatever your team is um you watch their cheerleaders they they're beautiful and they uh can kick their feet up real high and they can maybe do a backflip or a round off they're not doing the stuff these, they're not doing basket tosses. And uh, well, I don't want to say they're not, they may do a basket toss, but they're not doing like these crazy combinations where, I mean, these kids are falling and breaking ankles and breaking shoulders, getting concussions, knocking teeth out. I mean, because they are all they're, all they're working on is a gymnastics or a God, I cannot say words today, a gymnasium floor with a really light padding over it. I mean, even gymnasts have more padding when they're working, but they're just in a regular gymnasium with this tiny, really flat padding over top of it. And um, the the tricks that they do, I mean, they, they're insane. If you watch like a um, cheerleading competition that's on like ESPN versus watching someone cheer at a game, you'll see the difference in athleticism. Oh yeah, they're definitely different. My niece is a, a cheerleader. Really? Mm-hmm. I have a one niece is a cheerleader, and I have another one that is a gymnast, and they're both phenomenal. Like they're both phenomenal. I got to watch a um, um, I don't know if it was a live feed or a video or whatever my niece sent me of one of her competitions, and she was amazing. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, she was doing all these things that I could never even imagine doing. <laughs> Like uh, cheerleading gets a, and even I, I give it a bad rap sometimes, you know, it gets a bad rap because people are are saying like, oh, you're, you're supposed to be happy and peppy. And, and that's, it is true. You're supposed to carry yourself in a certain manner and you are a representative of your school and you're supposed to be a good representative of that. Now we obviously all know what goes on at frat parties and lots of the time cheerleaders are there and 
they can put on that face. And that was kind of what I grew up with where I just didn't like that kind of stuff. My sister was a cheerleader and she was really good at it. Um, but I love watching these competitions. I mean, they are true athletes and the things that they can do. I watch cheerleading and gymnastics and I could skip back and forth and I, I love every bit of it. Okay. Right on. <laughs> if I could have had like a dark cheerleading team, like could, could we have talked about how terrible life was and how we had no motivation? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I could have cheerleaded on that. I would have had my little, my little black leotard on my little black cheerleading pom-poms. <laughs> I could see you like that too. Your hair and two pigtails. <laughs> yep. With my purple streaks in it. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. That I could have done. We've got piercings on. People are getting their lip rings ripped out. Yeah. Oh my God. You're going to have to post a picture of your pretty amethyst hair <laughs> that's going on currently. Like you just recently did it and I love it. I did. I did. I'm, I'm really digging um Arctic Fox right now as my uh, hair coloring because it only grabs like certain pieces of hair. So it kind of looks like highlights. It's pretty. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You're going to have to post a picture on our social media contact. You know, I mean, uh, I said social media contact. You know what I mean? Content. Um, Content. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, whenever we're talking about just little things like that, like seeing the hair that we're talking about, I, I, as me, as a viewer, I love to go and see stuff like that, you know? You know what? I do too. And I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that again. I was actually going to comment again on our social media that um, we, we originally had a different um, episode that was going to go up uh in place um but we've decided since we are talking about um gabriel fernandez that we were going to go ahead and put this episode up first so um i want to let everybody know that we do have social media now and it is very very blank we just started it there's not a lot of content on it but we would love to hear from you if you want to reach out to us in any way we have um a facebook um from our mouths you can just search that we have twitter which is at our mouths and we have an instagram that is from our at from our mouths and we also have an email address that is from our mouths at yahoo.com so if you want to reach out to us in any way we'd love to hear from you guys any any information you had any stories you might not want us to talk about we'd love to hear about it yes we would Okay, you ready to open these floodgates? Let's do it. I, I am. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to since we kind of deviated for a moment. I did. Uh, I did want to maybe bring up. Um, don't fuck with cats too. Like kind of roll them all together. That was. That was like. It was so weird, creepy, yeah. um, unexpected. Everything, it, and it was just. It was almost one of you know how like. If you, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or anything, but I, a part of my life, I grew up in Germany and they had nude beaches, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you see these people walking around nude and you know, you're not supposed to look at them, but you want to look, you have, you (laughs) cannot help, but look at it. That's how I felt about fuck with cats. I felt like, I don't want to see this shit. I don't want to hear this shit. Tell me more. Like I, 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 I wanted to know where it was going. I just want, I was captivated. I, I really was, was the same way as you. I, this, this was probably, this for me is probably what Gabriel was for you. I, I don't have children, so I don't have that same maternal instinct that people that have had kids and adopted kids and just have, have grown up in big families or even not that just some people are born with it. Some people aren't, I was not born with it. So watching that I could be detached you know and there was only one part in that in that whole thing that made me really get emotional uh which I'll talk about but 
don't fuck with cats. There was animal abuse, a lot of it. So um, don't don't watch that. Most likely, if you don't feel like you could handle it, I usually cannot. It's never something I would have watched, but I kept seeing it. It just kept calling to me. Like I just wanted to know so bad what was going on in it. And to to truth be told, they don't show you the abuse, but they show you right up to it. So it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. It's very very hard to watch. And um, but but the things that these these people did, the the way that they went after this person and and we guess i should give you know these are spoiler alerts we are going to give you spoilers in in all of these so if you don't want to hear these things then you definitely need to uh try to skip ahead if you don't want to hear about this one but you want to hear about gabriel skip ahead a little bit um they tell you that or they 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 go on a a mission because they've decided they are certain they know who this person is because this person is is essentially fucking with them too you know he's He's playing games. He's posting stuff on their Facebook page where they're trying to find him and the horrible animal, animal abuse on their Facebook page. And um, it is not just cats. There is a puppy as well that gets abused. Um, there's other animals that are shown that maybe don't maybe aren't abused, but I don't you know, there's a snake in there. Um, and they just they are relentless. I mean, even after it seems like the FBI and the cops have just kind of shoved this under the rug and they're just not even worried about it these people will not give up. And I think you and I um, agreed that the one of the most infuriating things was his mother. Yeah, that stupid bitch. <laughs> I, I could not believe that she wanted to target the people who found out where he was and what they were the ones. She called the people who were looking for him stalkers and she just wanted to emphasize how crazy they were and she couldn't believe what they did i'm like your fucking son is a crazy and he's a killer like you can't be serious right now mm -hmm. exactly exactly when we were when i was watching it um when she said they they are terrible people they just targeted him yeah <laughs> Bitch, he is setting cats on fire. He's slicing puppies open. He's feeding cats to snakes while you watch it. He's suffocating them. No, yeah. fuck you. All live feed, okay? Like, yeah. recording stuff. Like, I remember one podcast you were saying, I think this is when we first started. You were like, um, one of your worst fears is that you say something wrong and somebody seeks you out to find you. And I'm like, you really think that somebody would do that? And then I watch this documentary and I see how these people are seeking him out because they don't like what he's doing or saying. And I thought, okay, she was right. People do seek other people out. <laughs> God, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's terrifying. In this case, it completely warranted. I mean, this guy, he Absolutely. wanted to be famous. He made a bunch of Instagram pages to like his Instagram and he was running all of them. I think they said he had 14 Instagram pages that he was running and he used all of those pages to build up his original public figure. I mean, he wanted to be a model. He had competed on some show in Canada to try to be like, it was kind of like America's next top model type of show. Um, and he did not win, but he just was completely an absolute sociopath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I loved how they showed you the thing that gave me chills at the end was where they showed you the correlation of how he acted when he was being interrogated 
versus the way that Sharon Stone acted when she was interrogated in Basic Instinct, which he was absolutely obsessed with and loved that movie and knew everything about that movie. He copied her mannerisms. He copied the way she crossed her legs. He copied kind of the way that she sat and kind of the um, intonation and how she spoke. It, it was so creepy. And then the very end, they show his mom saying, um, uh, I miss him. I love him. And I hold on to this keychain because he gave it to me. And it's a, the basic instinct, like movie poster on this keychain. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that dude just, he literally, even the weight to me, I know he was like modeling stuff. To me, he looked fucking creepy. Like he gave me the creeps just, he didn't have to say anything. Just the way he looked gave me the creeps. Mm-hmm. No, he, abs- oh. he absolutely did. It, it was, it was, yeah. So um, I feel like that's pretty much, we've pretty much covered that one. I, I hate that I, you know, once I watch something like that, I kind of drop the details from my head because you just, you can't hold on to that stuff. It's just too much, you know? Um, yeah. But it, it was, it was so, so interesting to watch. Very, very hard to watch, but so interesting to sit through. Um, but yeah, G- Gabriel Fernandez was the main topic we wanted to talk about today. And um, it, it was it was extremely difficult to watch. I believe it was a five part. Yeah, five parter series. And um, they were essentially talking about L.A. It's in L.A. County um, in California. And this Palm eight year old boy. Yeah, oh, oh, Palmdale. OK, sorry about that. You're right. <clears throat> um, it was I'm L.A. Sorry. County. No, you were right. L.A. County. But it was Palmdale, California. Just if anybody oh. wants to Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I did not remember that. that. Um, so they, they were talking about, a, a or started out with them, a 911 call and a, a man uh, named Zario Igeri. I think that's how his last name was pronounced. You can call him fucker if you want. That, you know what? That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> he had, uh, he had called, um, actually, I believe his wife, had, or I keep saying wife, his girlfriend had called 911. Her name was Pearl. Fernandez, and she was the mother of Gabriel. Um, Isario is just her boyfriend, and they had lived together for several years. And so she calls 911, says, My son fell in the bathtub. Or, well, see, I got a bit confused. Can you correct that for me? Because I thought she told her, her one of her other sons, um, Ezekiel, to tell the cops that he fell while they were playing. But they told, at one point, they said he fell in the bathtub. No, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I'm mixing up. I apologize. He, they said he fell while he was playing with their older son, Ezekiel, and that they had put him in the bathtub to try to wake him up. They turned water on. He, he wouldn't wake up and he wasn't breathing right. and they didn't know what to do. So they had turned water on him to try to you know, shock his system back awake. And he wasn't breathing. So the 911 operator says, we're sending help. Can you put your boyfriend on the phone if he's, if he's with your son? So he gets on the phone and he sounds completely calm. No issue. No, he's not breathing. She said, do you know how to do 911? Yes. Can you do it? Yes. Okay. I'll hold while you do it. Okay. Now, I don't know for those of you that maybe don't listen to a lot of podcasts or anywhere that you can hear a 911 call, but oftentimes you're going to hear the phone drop. People are out of breath. They're yelling into the, the, the phone because it's not on speaker. Or maybe it is on speaker and you can hear <laughs> movement where somebody, for anyone that's ever actually done CPR or, or gone to a CPR class, 
it's very, very difficult to push that hard on, on a chest, even an eight-year-old boy's chest. Uh, when I did it, uh, taking a class, my knees would come up off the ground because you had to push so hard to get far enough down, you know, to, to cause uh, what you want to happen, you know, to try to get the heart to be, uh, to start beating or, or to push it, to manually beat it. And there was nothing. It was complete silence. And the 911 operator waits a moment and then says, are you doing CPR? Is he breathing? Is anything happening? No. Like he's just, he's not out of breath. He answers her immediately. It's not like it took him a moment to grab the phone again, or nobody can prove it, but it doesn't sound like he was doing 911, or sorry, it doesn't sound like he was doing CPR. He had no blood on him. This little boy was covered in blood when the police officers got there. And they said, what happened? He said, oh, he fell. They asked Ezekiel what happened. And Ezekiel said, we were playing and he fell. And they rush him to the hospital. They get his pulse back, rush him over to the hospital. And when they get there, um, they've got him in the trauma unit of the ER. And the they interviewed an ER nurse that said the people that were working on him were yelling out different contusions and, and different injuries that they saw on him. And I was to write them down. Stay. I couldn't. Yeah. Let me let me take a break for a second. I want to do this and I want to see if it if it works. Do you mind? I found um, during my research, I found a one one minute, nine second clip of the 911 call. And I'm going to see this will be the first time we ever do this. I'm going to play it and see um, how it comes through. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Do that. Okay, here we go. New details revealed in the murder of a 10-year-old Lancaster boy. For the first time, we are hearing the 911 call his mother made the day before he died. Today, a judge unsealed transcripts and chilling evidence prosecutors presented to the grand jury. Heather Barron and her boyfriend, Kareem Leva, are accused of beating, starving, and torturing Anthony Avalos. In June, Barron called 911. Oh, shit, it's the wrong one. I was like, Okay, let's oh let's um God. real quick. We're not <laughs> laughing. We're not laughing at the uh the poor child being tortured. We are no, laughing. No, not that. <laughs> Embarrassing. Just it? just to let you know, it came out really clear. <laughs> oh well, that's good. I cannot believe I saved the wrong one. Okay, so <laughs> embarrassing. I'll be better prepared next time. I think because this was another case that I was watching, which. We can talk about that too, but go ahead and finish. I apologize. That, no, that's okay. Hey, you know what? At least we know going forward. I'm glad everybody gets to learn with us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, so back back to our seriousness. The the um, the ER nurse said they were shouting out traumas so quickly, all different parts of this little boy. I couldn't write fast enough. I couldn't notate fast enough. And they show they have a little chart of a human being front and back. And you're just to notate these different areas and and what type of um, contusions or lacerations or whatever the the person has, broken bones, things like that. This little boy had uh, BB gun pellets in his face and in his inner thigh. He had a cigarette burn. Nine. Yes. Thank you. They were embedded in his skin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, he had uh, cigarette burns in all different severities, meaning that some were old and had completely healed into scars and some were relatively new and were still in the process of healing. He had skin missing off the front of his forehead. He had black eyes. He had teeth that had been cracked and broken. 
he and not not because of bad hygiene like he had physically had these teeth knocked out of his face with a bat um, he yes yeah they didn't know that at the time but yes it was a bat um he had a crushed in section of his skull that they said when you pushed on it you could push down into it like his his skull had give to it because it had been smashed in um he had uh, ligature marks where he had been they weren't sure at the time either tied up or handcuffed they did find out later it was handcuffs on both of his wrists and on both of his ankles um what else am i missing at oh god they he was beat he was beaten he was binded uh he was shot with the bb gun he was starved his teeth were knocked out um, you know, that they, they locked him in that ca- cabin thing every night before he went to bed. They put a, a bandana, a, a sock in his mouth, a bandana around him. Um, oh, oh, one of the most important parts of this story is that they said that the reason why that because there was three children, there was him, his brother and his sister. And the right, his, why, and, and the two other children were older. His uh, Gabriel was the youngest. He was eight at the time of his death. He had an older sister named Virginia. And then the oldest was his brother, Ezekiel. Right. And so he was targeted. He was the one who was beaten and not the other siblings. And they said that they targeted him because they thought that, that he was gay. So mm-hmm. um, on his penis, his penis was burned. His oh, they was, they had cut it too. They had cut yep. the tip of his penis. Mm-hmm. It was burned. It was bruised. It was cut. Um, and I would imagine that they targeted part of you know his penis area because they thought that he was gay. Um, they there he had bite marks. Did you say that he had? Bite yes, marks? I I did not say that. You're you're correct. He did have bite marks. Um, now when when the ER doctors are are looking at all of this, I mean they don't know what has for what has caused this and he came in with a notation of hey i fell while i was playing and hurt myself and when they were when the mom and boyfriend were asked in the beginning well hey you know he's actually got a lot of you know a lot of issues could you tell us what happened it was oh you know they play pretty rough he's he's had um, we've had several home visits from social workers we've always been able to explain it they've they've cleared us of anything he just plays really rough and he's a difficult child and and all this so as the story unfolds they find out originally pearl pearl actually all three of these children have the same dad but their dad was incarcerated and they don't tell you what he's incarcerated for but he is not around and um she when she had Gabriel, she didn't want him. She did not want to have another baby. But her, was it her uncle? I think it was her uncle, right? Yeah. That took, okay. So her uncle said, look, I know you don't want another child, but it was against their religion, which is insane for me to say she had any religion because she's an evil monster, um, to abort. So she, he said, if you have the baby, I'll take him. And you know, she, she did left him at the hospital, right? That's, I was going to say she three days. He was a three day old newborn. And she calls her uncle and says, you need to come get your kid. He's annoying me already. And they discharged her from the hospital. She left him there, just left that little baby right there. So her uncle came and picked him up. And for three years, he lived with her uncle and her uncle's boyfriend. And they loved him. He was a happy baby. He was well fed. He was well taken care of. He was clean. And then they never explain why other than it sounds like Pearl and her boyfriend, Azario, decided that 
Gabriel would become gay if he was raised by two gay men. And they made up a story that he had been touched by one of these men. And her uncle actually got deported back to, was it Peru? Is that where he originally Mm -hmm. lived? And, and he hadn't lived there in 38 years and he just gets deported back to Peru because of something that he he never did. I mean, I, I don't know this man and I feel I'm certain that there's not a chance he ever hurt this child, that he loved this child. They just, they wanted a child. They wanted to have a family and just out of hate, these people, took this child back and and did it in a horribly underhanded way and for a small period of time he also lived with um, his grandmother and did did okay there i mean didn't seem nearly as happy but did okay and then came back to live with pearl and her boyfriend and his other two siblings and he just kept saying i want to go back and live with my grandma at six years old he wrote suicide notes in his little six-year-old scrawled handwriting on like the that colored um paper that you used to have in school that you would draw on what am i thinking of that uh starts with a c and i can't think of it he wanted to say confectioner paper oh (laughs) construction thank you yes construction paper um he just he said i you know i want to die i don't want to be a lot it it was gut-wrenching and this was the first case um where after he died was when you know obviously this big investigation starts this went on for four years that they were investigating this this case and they finally um did uh, have a trial but not only did they try his mom pearl and his mom's boyfriend azario they also tried the four social workers that were the main social workers in his case that had been out there several times, had notated in his file that he was a, a severe risk for child abuse, as were his siblings, that um, all these different things had been explained away and that he was a problem child. But not not very many times in all these years that they were taken or that they went out to this family's home did they see gabriel they would the mom would concoct a story of this or that and the other and they would take her word for it didn't say well let me see the child i have to see him nothing they would just go about their day and it 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 was it was infuriating infuriating to listen to the fact that all of these years of paperwork had been listed and he had a, a first grade teacher first grade right yeah, first grade teacher. Um, she had called into the social working law, the, the C- CT, why can't I think of what it is? Child Protective, CP, CPS. She had called into CPS several times, all these different times to report so many things about this child and would talk to the caseworker specifically or would leave her voice messages. Hey, this has happened. He came in with a black eye. He came in with busted teeth. He was out for 13 days and came back and still could barely open his eyes. He had a BB gun shot in his face and he didn't want to tell the teacher what happened because he said, every time I tell you that lady comes out to my house and I get beat worse. Damn. You know, I thought whenever they, I, the part where it came up that they prosecuted the um the social workers it was two social workers and their supervisors who got prosecuted and i thought you know bravo because that's their job that's your job that's your profession and i was talking to one of my girlfriends about it and she was like she's in that profession and she was like that that would be devastating to me and my career you know i don't know if they should have um you know, been prosecuted. And I said, how in the world could you 
say that you don't think that they could be prosecuted, that they should be prosecuted. I said, there's something called a code of ethics when you are in that profession. And the fact that this little boy could have been saved by four different people just in that little uh, scenario, the two counselor uh, social workers and their supervisors, you can't tell me that you don't feel or they should take some responsibility for that. And she was like, well, I see your side, but ultimately they weren't the ones who killed them. No, they weren't, but they didn't help from him being staying alive either. Um, and it really did kind of upset me when I found out that uh, just this year in January that they dismissed the charges for these people. Mm -hmm. um, and they said that, I think I wrote down the quote, let me get it. It says that, quote, we conclude that the petitioners never had the requisite duty to control the abusers and did not have care or custody of Gabriel. I call bullshit, okay? Somebody has to take responsibility. Yes, the parents did do it. Yes, they are incarcerated. Yes, they are locked up. But there's so many other people who came into this child's life who were supposed to carry a code of ethics and they failed this child. So for that reason, I do believe that they should, should have been prosecuted. I don't know what the... Um, I don't know what they should, I don't know if they should have been in therapy. I don't know if they should have gotten more counseling. I don't know if they should have been incarcerated. I don't know what their punishment should have been, but I do think they should have been prosecuted and it should have stuck. I, I agree with you. I, you know what? I do see your friend's side as well, as much as I, I hate to say that I do um, only, only because I, and this is not not even nearly the same level. I try to compare it to the fact that I did work for a big corporation that was not nearly as important in what these people are doing in their lives. And the amount of, of backup that we got when we wanted to make a big change was so minute. And again, not nearly the same thing, but I try to kind of put myself there. And, you know, they always talk about how we try to keep them with the family. That's the best thing we can do if we can. Breaking up a family is the worst thing for a child if we don't have to. And I understand that. It's just that it seems that so many people let, let so much slide and just thought, well, it's just this one thing. You know, it's just this other one thing. And, and didn't, didn't realize just, just how awful it is. And I try to think of, like, when I was having a bad day, you know, at, at my job and I let something slide that I shouldn't have because we're human. Like they were saying, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to let our emotions either run us or not take care of things. You know, maybe when we should be more emotional, we're going to let it go. And it's very, very difficult to rely 100% and not have, you know, any type of, well, we're human, we make mistakes or we let this one go or let this one, you know, whatever the case may be. I, when you're that far away and you're not ever being held accountable, it's got to be a shock to the system when somebody actually does try to hold you accountable to that. And you're like, okay, but look, I was just doing my job. I was doing what I've always been told to do. I, I actually did not dislike the male supervisor that they had interviewed. Um, the one that just said, you know, I, 
I handle anywhere from, you know, around like 280 kids at a time, like that's not fair. That's not, these are, you know, these are funded programs. So they have to work within a budget. And if he's saying like, look, I'm overwhelmed and I can't handle all these cases and take care of all these kids. Well, you know what they'll say? Well, we'll find someone who will. You know, you don't have to do this job. You can leave. We'll find someone else that just came out of college. We don't have to pay what we're going to pay you now that you've been here all these years. It's just it's the same game. It shouldn't be. It should be different when it comes to something this important to child welfare. But it's not. It's the same thing that you hear at every big corporation that's funded by other corporations. It's all about the bottom line. As horrible as that is, that's what matters the most in, in any. Well, we can't run if we're not making money, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. There needs to be some some changes implemented. There needs to be some new laws. Um, here I am just, you know, a regular average human being. I'm not in that um profession or anything and i'm just here making my judgment and my opinion by watching this documentary first red flag was when the when pearl was pregnant with gabriel and she said i don't want this kid i don't want it i I don't want to have anything to do with it i just don't want it and then the you heard the great uncle say we talked her into say you know keeping the kid and, and giving it to us first red flag then, but they didn't they didn't know that the social workers didn't know that she never mentioned that and that dude had been deported like so they didn't believe anything he had to say right but see that's where i feel like the system failed because when you go out to when you go out to a house call you're supposed to do re- what what you're supposed to do research they're supposed to re- you're supposed to do interviews you're supposed to talk to the people closest to them right. i mean the sister was saying I saw my nephew come several times with black eyes and it scared me. And I, so I started staying the night over there more trying to protect him and his, you know, siblings I just feel like there should have been somebody who went above and beyond. Okay. Let me give you an example. Um, One time there was two doors down one of the little girls who friends with our children, you know, um, function with her for years, love her to death, banging at my door. Okay. I answer the door. Let, oh my God, Miss A.T., let me in, you know, let me in, let me in. I, I let her in. I cro- close the door. She's hysterical crying. And she proceeds to tell me that her dad was beating her and that he was threatening to chop her hair off. Okay. Because he had found, that out that she was dating some boy okay Mm -hmm. at that moment i had a decision to make i had a decision to make am i going to step into the am i going to step in this situation and do everything that i know best for her or am i gonna do as little as i can so I can mind my own business. So I'm not a part of this. I don't want to be a part of this messiness. Okay. I already told you that I would, I came from abuse home. I was an abused child. So I decided that no matter what happened, I was going to try and keep this girl safe as long as I could. Okay. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what to do. I had no clue. Here comes her parents banging on my door because they saw her come to my house. I'm not letting you in. You're not getting in my house. So I open the door 
And they tell me, well, I saw her come here, blah, blah, blah. She did this and she did that and she did this. And I said, all due respect, I understand that I'm just a neighbor. I understand that that's your child. I cannot let you in here. You need to go home. You need to calm down and take a moment. And she needs to stay here. You guys do not need to be together. And I, I just can't let you in here. That's my child. You don't hold my child. Blah, you know, it's going off on me. And I had to close the door and lock my door. And I kept that child there as long as I could. Um, we talked. Uh, I, I hugged her. We cried. Um. Later that night, uh, she decided that she wanted to go back home. I didn't want her to go home. I wanted her to stay. But she decided that she wanted to go back home and she was going to try and talk and work everything out with her parents. And I told you that she's two doors down. I, um, I took a, um, one of my camping chairs that I have in my garage and I set that chair on the sidewalk in walking distance away from her house. And I just sat there. I didn't want to be on their property. I didn't want them calling cops on me saying I'm on their property. But I wanted to be close enough that if I heard her screaming or I heard anything, that I was close enough to be able to run and save her. I sat there almost all night in the dark in this chair. So... I'm telling you this story because I feel like somebody has to go beyond what they're just told to do. Regardless of the fact if you're going to get in trouble, the regardless of the fact of if you're going to lose your job, if they're going to be they're going to hate you, if things are going to be uncomfortable, you have I feel like somebody didn't do enough, you know? And I mm -hmm. even felt in the situation with my neighbor that I didn't do enough, you know, but I never had to sit outside her house for hours in the middle of the night and do that. But I felt like it was my duty to her to have somebody just in case something happened, mm -hmm. you know, that I mean, that is you're exactly right. Because you've had that experience, it would have been things would have been very, very different for you because you you had an experience. Like, and I'm not saying these people that work in these situations haven't experienced something. And you know, they one thing they didn't show was how many people these people have saved, how many kids these people have saved. It was, I mean, as much as I love documentaries, they are oftentimes kind of steered to make you feel one way or the other. You, know, you you can make your choices. We're not going to straight up tell you how to feel, but um, it it kind of let you know, hey, these people they made. And I'm not saying he was just a mistake. You know, I, I would never say that. But they they made a mistake. They made several mistakes. But they couldn't give you a lot of details to exactly what they did. It was just well, they noted this and then they didn't do anything. They interviewed a man. Um, that had worked for the department for many years and had since retired. And he said, you know, at one point we had nowhere to put these children. There were no foster homes available. There were no, there was nowhere. So at one point in the office where we worked, 
we had 16 children. And then that 16 set of children turned to over 300 children that are just living in an office building. Like they're sleeping on the floor. There's no bedrooms for these children. So they don't understand what's happening. They don't, a lot of the time, they don't understand why they can't be with their parents. It's not a productive or a good situation. And Gabriel, as horrible as his mom was to him, I mean, she physically beat him in the face with a bat. Like she did that to him. She helped to tie him up and starve him. I mean, she did all of this stuff and he still loved her. You know, he still was like, that's my mom. He wanted to make a Mother's Day card for her in the the teacher's classroom that he was in. Um, And she helped him make this Mother's Day card. And one thing that really struck me was all the things it was like, my mom is this and my mom is, you know, this because this and they were to fill in the blanks. And he always talked about how beautiful she was, how pretty she was, but never once was it like, my mom gives the best hugs. My mom gives the best kisses. My mom is so sweet. My mom makes great pancakes. It was nothing like any of those things. It was only about her beauty. And he wrote her some little coupons, you know, to give to her for Mother's Day. And one of them was, I'll be good. And it was just really upsetting to watch. But oftentimes, you know, you, the, the social workers were saying, not, not the ones that were, that were on trial, but different people they had interviewed were saying, look, we always want to try to keep them with the family if we can, even if it's not the most ideal situation, because pulling a child out of their family is oftentimes a lot more stressful for them than you realize. And people sitting on the outside can say, you guys should have found a different home for these kids. You should rehome them. Well, it's not that simple. You have to find a place to rehome them and you have to find the best situation to put them in as far as rehoming them. So I'm really glad they put these people on trial. I really am because it's the start to something, but I'm not, I'm not completely, I'm not surprised that it didn't get very far. Well, I did some research outside of that documentary and I watched this clip that was um, by NBC and they said that between 2000, okay, Gabriel, was he born 2005, right? Is that right? I I can't remember what year he passed away. Okay. He was born in 2005 and he was, he died in 2013. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so NBC said, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm getting all mixed up. I just want to back out. So I say this, right. He was born in 2003. He did not, he was not placed with his mother and her boyfriend until eight months or nine months before he passed away. Okay. Right. Right. So the greater part of his life, he was with his uncle and his uncle's partner his grandmother and his grandfather, just the last eight to nine months of his life was with his mother and her boyfriend. Okay. So NBC says between 2003 and 2012, more than 60 complaints were filed with DCFS against the mom and the boyfriend. Eight investigations were took place, took place and nothing was done. So I'm telling you that because we're going down to the last eight, nine months of his life where he was tortured. But all these complaints started in 2003. Before he yeah. was even born, these people were having issues. 
Oh yeah, yeah. The they they said that one of the you know one of the ladies she used to be a nun for ten years. Don't know why she stopped uh, living in the nunnery, um, but she she then started social work. I mean, I don't know if she just felt like that was her calling or what it was, but they said she was extremely difficult. She was not nice to the people when she met them. She made things. It's just, it just makes you wonder, you know, why are you getting into this field? Like, I feel like I know so many people that have gotten into the nursing field simply because it was convenient. You know, I could, I can work where I want. Uh, There's always jobs available. Like, I know this is not the same thing, but it makes me wonder, I mean, did you really love kids or did you just think, well, this is convenient for me? Right. And the other thing I would like to say is that we have this stereotype in America that just because you're a woman, just because you are a female with organs to recreate, that every woman is, is meant to be a mother. Every woman is not meant to be a mother. Um, one of my friends said when we were talking, the same friend that I was talking about earlier when we were talking about this, she said, in America, or maybe across the world, I don't know, but let's just concentrate on where we are. She said that you could be stellar in every part of your life, but if you have a kid and you're not a good mother, you're not a good person, right? Mm-hmm. So, I feel like this woman was saying all along before she even had these kids, like, I don't want them. I don't want to be a mother. I'm not that, like, she kept saying it repeatedly. She should have never had all three of the children. But when she got to Gabriel, she voiced, I don't want this kid. I don't want to be a mother. And at that point, something should have taken place because every woman is not meant to be a mother. Point blank, period. Yeah, no, that's absolutely 100% true. I, um, I was not meant to be a mother, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I didn't think that I was either. I never wanted children. And I never wanted children um, for the simple fact of just, just like her, um, she was abused. It came out that she was abused. She mm-hmm. was abused when she was brought up. She was gang raped for two days. Um And so her abuse continued on. In my situation, my mother was abused by her mother and she abused me. And I was so terrified that I was going to do that to somebody else. Like I did not want to hurt anybody else that I just, I thought I didn't want to fuck up anybody like like I was fucked up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to have any kids, you know, not saying that I thought that I was capable of that. But pretty much let's, you know, be pro let's let's be proactive and not reactive. Don't even put me in that situation. So I have to find out what's going to happen. Does that make sense? No, it 100 percent makes sense. I completely agree with you. I, I don't I don't believe, though, I don't know for sure that my mom was ever abused, but she was abusive to me uh, just mentally, not not physically. Um, and I could tell when I was forced at, at certain points to live with her and my stepfather, who was extremely abusive as well, that I was angry, you know, and I was becoming angry. And I felt like even at that young age, I didn't think I could fight it. You know, I felt like eventually I'm going to be them. I'm going to be the, the people that they are. I'm going to be just as abusive. So the fact that you took such a negative situation and, and made a change 
it's really hard to do. Anybody that hasn't grown up in that type of family, it's really, really hard to break, even though you hated how you felt, even though you think when you're a kid, I'd never treat my kid this way. I'll let them do this and that and the other. It's a really, really hard to break when you grew up that way. Now, I am not making excuses for Pearl because as you can see, every single day, people do it. Every single day, people make a conscious choice not to be like the abusers that they had. And she had a choice she could have made I don't care that they claim that she was um, mentally incapable, that she you know, didn't have a high enough education. I don't care. You had something in you that you could have tried to fix and you chose not to. You chose, they, they claimed that um, it was called scapegoat syndrome for Gabriel, where yeah. they would use him as their scapegoat for everything. Because oftentimes people will say, and actually my husband and I, we were talking about this and he's like, well, I just don't understand how they only abused him. Why didn't they abuse the other kids? And I said, because they just, they don't even consciously do it. It's just, they pick one thing, one, some people do it to animals. You know, some people will pick their dog that they have and every single thing that goes wrong, you had a really bad day at work and you come home and you beat the shit out of this dog. Well, that's what they did to this kid. They, everything that went wrong was his fault. And any little thing that he could do that would annoy them, he he would get beaten and and bludgeoned and just completely tortured. And one of the things that was interesting for me that I didn't I'd never heard of was the fact that when they first said they were going to try, um, because I don't feel like we've gotten to the point where we've said that the the beating, the last beating he incurred was from Azario, her his mom's boyfriend, and his um his uh defense team was trying to say okay look he admits that he did it he admits that he lost control and he beat this child to death however it was a one-time incident now they can show months and months of abuse to this child and as you said many cases where people had come out but they uh the the um uh prosecutor was trying to say well, okay, well, this was murder in the first. And even I at first was saying it's not murder in the first because murder in the first shows intention, shows, you know, will that you planned it, that you meant to do it. But they had like a clause of murder in the first via torture. And that's just saying that you tortured somebody to the point where you knew you could kill them. And 100%, that is, I agreed with that completely. And um, in the end of this documentary, they did find him guilty of murder in the first and they did um, sentence him to death. Now the mom uh, took <laughs> a shitty way out after she saw what happened to Osario and she took a plea deal and got life in prison for what she did. And the one thing that I know you're going to agree with me on that was so infuriating was her letter to the court. Oh my God. Uh- where she said, um, I'm not going to get the quote right, but she said, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everyone. And I hope that my other children will come to their senses and come see me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, it becomes with the abuser. And I learned this through therapy um, because I chose to go to therapy. So this is even before I had my first child, just because I knew that I never, I didn't know I was going to be a parent, but I knew that it was an issue for me that I wanted to work through. Uh, And I'm glad that I did because it allowed me to understand things that I couldn't understand coming from an abused home. 
you know, you get blamed for a lot of things. You feel like you're not good enough. You're ignored. You're isolated. You're labeled. Um, it And it comes from not just physical abuse, but verbal abuse. Um, you feel like you're dismissed. And so you keep thinking like, what did I do? You know, and you're a child, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a child. Yes. You could do things that, that you're not supposed to, you could have messed up or, but you're a child. Okay. So you're, you're learning, you're growing, you're going to do things that, that you shouldn't do or do things that, you know, maybe an adult would feel that are, are, uh, not acceptable, you know? Um, but I learned through therapy that first of all, it becomes a a vicious cycle that is perpetuated from generation from generation. Okay. And then you have a conscious decision to say, I'm going to, this is, this stops here and you're going to do something about it, or you're just going to let it continue on. And I learned that the, when you have the abuser that they are, they are tormented in their mind by their own internal feelings of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So instead of dealing with their issues, they choose a target and then you become that projected target. Right. I never understood that. I always thought, you know, you don't love me because I'm not doing this or I, I, and I still deal with that. Today, in my current relationships, I always feel like I have to overdo myself because I feel like I need you to love me and I need to do over what everybody else is doing because just regular regular old me is not good enough, right? Yeah, it's, no, exactly. I mean, even knowing it doesn't, doesn't make it, just because you, you know it and you believe it, you still have doubts and you still have insecurities and that is a lifetime of work and it makes you really angry because you just think if you just treated me better, I wouldn't have to deal with this. You had a problem. You made it my problem. And, and now you're fine. You know, you're fine. You don't think you did anything wrong. Usually they that's how the abuser it. is. Yeah. The abuser just thinks it, you know, it was a, maybe I slipped up from time to time, but I was a good parent or I was a good this. I was a good husband. I was a good wife, whomever you are. That's the abuser. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever read or heard of the book called a child called it by David Peltzer. I believe it's David Peltzer. Um, I read that, gosh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago at this place, probably been 15 years ago. I don't know exactly when he wrote it, but he was the third worst child abuse case in California in the 1970s and he wrote a book about his abuse and it was the same story I I mean not not the type of abuse what he endured uh, was over many years and I I don't want to say worse because I don't want to compare but you know apples to apples or whatever but it it was gut-wrenching I read this book more than once I don't know why I don't know what the fascination is I can't say I enjoy reading these things but I'm fascinated to learn how people come through you know and how they just how they endure such awfulness and then they become these wonderful people you know that he became a dad and he's by all accounts a wonderful dad he loves a child he wouldn't do you know he just can't imagine that um he let his uh, i believe he let his mom meet his her grandson one time just so she would know 
hey, I had a kid and he turned out good and I'm good and we're done. Everything's done. You'll never see him again. You'll and it wasn't in a hateful way. It wasn't like screaming at her and and but he just he needed closure. He needed her to see he still felt like he had something to prove, you know, even though you can stand back and say, oh, she was so terrible. Why did you feel that way? I mean, we both get that with the I mean, I always wanted my mom to accept me, even though I couldn't stand her. Like I just and you've done the same thing that he did, where you've made a conscious decision to make yourself a good person, a good mom, someone that isn't going to repeat history. And that that's so hard. And you really have to you have to try to be proud of yourself for that, because that's amazing. People don't understand how hard that is. It, it is extremely difficult. And let me explain why it's difficult. When you choose, you make a choice to just continue on with what has given to you, it's almost like you're not dealing, you're not confronting your emotions, you're not dealing with it. And the best way that I can explain that is I've been a mother now for almost 22 years, okay? Every single solitary situation, and I'm talking, this is on a daily basis. It never goes away. Every situation, everything that comes out of my mouth, I am reminded how to speak to my children, what to say to my children. Don't make them feel like you, how you felt. Don't say this. Don't do that. I have to constant consciously where I would want to put it in the back of my mind and not think about it. And remember how I felt when things were said to me or done to me, I have to put it to the forefront and I have to deal with it the best way I know how. So I can make sure that I don't fuck up two other human beings. Mm -hmm. I have to be conscious of, Hey, you know, I might be thinking in my mind, I want to say something this way because I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I, I just want to do it this way. But I have to remember, Hey, remember how you felt when, your mom did this. You remember how you felt when this happened? You remember how when she yelled at you for something you thought you, I have to always remember. So it's always there in the front of my mind for the safety of these other two children that I refuse to do this to. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you have to live in your misery daily just so you can remember not to do this to somebody else, not how to not let them feel the feelings that you felt. And if I didn't take that position, I would imagine that it's a whole lot easier, Stacy, to put that in the back of my mind and just act on my emotions as I feel. It's a whole lot harder to resist hitting somebody or acting out in anger than is for you to take a moment, collect yourself, and deal it with it in another way. Absolutely. I couldn't I could not have said that any better than you said it. That is 100% true. And that's what, not that most people wouldn't watch these documentaries and, and feel pain, but that's part of what is so infuriating when you watch this is if you came from any type of abuse any kind, whether it happened when you were a child or when in later in life, I feel like so many people have, have gone through some type of abuse, which is terrible. That's what makes you so angry when you watch it is 
these people had a choice. This little boy didn't have a choice. And right. some people straight up say, well, why didn't he just run away? Where was he going to run to? He was eight. Let me I, tell you. I didn't run away when I was 12. And right. I, I can imagine, you know, when he was eight. And it's not, it's, it's not that easy. No. It's easy for you to say that if you haven't been in that situation, but you have fear. Fear is a huge factor. I had, my mom used to tell me, I dare you. I dare you to go and tell a friend or tell somebody. I would go to a school like Gabriel with a black eye, with a busted lip. I dare you to tell somebody what happened because you want to know why they'll come in here and they'll take you and they'll take your sister and it'll be all your fault. Mm -hmm. Whoa, what a huge thing for a child to have on their shoulders. And then I'm thinking, I don't want my mom and dad never touch my sister ever, never. And I I, want to leave my dad out of this equation uh, because he wasn't the one who beat us, but he was there and he knew it was happening. So I don't, I'm not sure that he's any better than the person who was doing the abuser. I mean, doing the abusing, but I kind of felt like, and I've had this conversation with my sister since we've been adults that I was protecting her. Mm -hmm. If I told somebody, does that mean that, you know, I didn't know if they were going to take me away. I didn't know if they were going to take both of us away. If they take me away, now does she become the target? I didn't know it was going to happen. So fear is a huge thing. You don't know how to handle something like that until you're in that situation. And you don't know the person who's the victim, what they're thinking in their mind. Because I, I literally thought whenever my mom said that she knew what she was doing. It's, 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 control it's power but Mm -hmm. I didn't know what she was doing all I kept thinking is she's right like I can't tell anybody I can't get them you know take me away or take my sister away or both of us away and maybe she would get separated from I I couldn't let that happen right so um there's a lot of factors to abuse and um it's a very, very complex situation. It's, 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 it's very complex. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's um, definitely not. It's not cut and dry. It's not that simple as just why didn't you run away? Why did you stay? Or why didn't you tell someone? I mean, I, I you know, again, not that we're trying to compare, but I didn't suffer the same type of abuse, you know, that you suffered. I wasn't beaten on. I was just I was just told, you know, terrible things. I was mentally, I was told awful stuff. And I, I mean, I was threatened by, my family was threatened. My stepdad used to threaten to kill my dad and my dog and my grandma. And like, he was, and I believed him, you know, people would say, why would you believe him? Well, I was a kid and he was hateful. Like, why wouldn't I believe him? Right. Do you mind sharing some of the things that were said? Because to me, I, I went through physical and mental and verbal abuse and I feel like now looking back on it I wish that she had just beat the shit out of me and never said anything and I think I could have healed I could have healed faster you know what that I I mean I, I hate to say that since not having had that happen but I think that that's true as well for me um because 
to give a little backstory, I they couldn't hit me. I had so many physical problems. I had eye problems, ear problems, mouth problems, kidney problems. Like I had all these surgeries. I was really sick. I was always in and out of the hospital. And the doctor told my mom one time, not my dad, because my dad never laid a hand on us, but told my mom one time, if you're going to spank her, you need to take her and lay her on a flat surface, like lay her across your coffee table and she can't get up. Well, what kid is just going to lay there while you smack the shit out of them? Right. So no, I mean, she knew I wouldn't lay there. So I, and since I was sick at an early age, it just kind of happened where I didn't get hit, but my sister did. I mean, not, it would be abuse now. Was it abuse back then? Probably not. Um, but slapped in the face, hit with fly swatters, you know, not like whole sticks or closed fists, but my mom did not hold back. I mean, when she was going to hit you, she was going to hit you, but it was not with like a, a fist to the face. Um, but for me, it, I don't, I don't really remember. I mean, I'm, I'm sure my sister uh, probably felt quite angry a lot of the time because they could hit her. And why well, say they, my dad, again, never laid a hand on us. Um, rarely ever even raised his voice to us. My mom was a disciplinarian. And, uh, and I think part of her, discipline style was another reason they divorced like he my dad just wasn't like that he just didn't see a reason to lay your hand on your kids um but when they did divorce and my mom immediately remarried this man who was and ended up being my stepdad everything he said goes and she was never that woman i mean she wasn't that woman that was the little woman behind the man it was (laughs) she went to work and he stayed at home and did nothing it was just like as long as she had a man in her life everything was okay that was number one kids weren't number one this man was number one no matter what a piece of shit he was i can't stand females like that i Mm -hmm. i cannot fucking stand females like that yep and being that young, I didn't realize it, you know, I didn't know. And, and years and years and years later, my sister and I were talking one time and she finally got up the nerve to ask me, did Billy ever touch you, my stepdad, because dad and I always worried that he did, but dad didn't want to talk to you about it. He didn't want to bring it up to you. He thought, you know, maybe it would upset you more if you didn't want to talk about it. And I had been in therapy for years. So I guess he figured if it happened, I was telling somebody and I said, no, not, not, no, he didn't do that. She said, we always worried that he did because he was just an awful evil human being, but he, he would fly off the handle over little things. You know, I, one time I had a door, we, we moved a lot because they didn't pay their bills. So there was a wake of credit debt. And um, so we had moved at one point and I had a door that had like a little latch on it. I'd never had that. So I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You know, and I latched the door sitting in my bedroom doing nothing. I didn't even have a TV in there. And he tried to open the door and it didn't open. And I said, Oh, hang on a second. And because he'd opened it so hard, it got stuck. And I said, I can't, I can't get it back off. I can't get the latch back off. So finally he kicks the door open and tells me, if you ever do that again, I'm going to fucking beat the shit out of you. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, it was just something like that. Like I, I had never been known to do anything wrong as a bad kid. I didn't do drugs. I didn't bring boys to my house. Like I didn't stay out. I didn't have a, I didn't have a curfew because I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. I was just a kid and I played with the neighborhood kids. We rode our bikes around and we played with the puppies that our friends' neighbors had. Like that is the crap I did. And it was just the littlest things could set him off. There was one time he was eating really loudly and I just couldn't stop staring at him because it was just really loud. And he asked me what? And I said, why are you eating so loud? And now that, okay, that was probably a little rude. And he told me, um, doesn't matter how I fucking eat, you know, shut your fucking face. Like it was just 
he had no problem cussing at me, getting insanely pissed at me right from the start. Just and and my mom would just sit by and let it happen. You know, it, it was fine. If he if he was talking to me like that, that was fine. There was another time one of the dogs ran away and he grabbed his shotgun when the dog came back, he was gonna kill it. And I'm crying and screaming, like, please don't kill the dog. And my mom says, just don't kill it tonight. Just wait till Stacy's gone. When she goes back to her dad's, you can kill it then. I mean, it, it was wow. just, and I mean, he would, there was one time he, our dogs had puppies and we had to move and the puppies were really young. They were scared. And he put them in the back of a U-Haul and uh, one of them, like when the U-Haul was opened, they tried to run out. They were terrified. They didn't know what was going on. And he threw one of them into a brick wall right in front of me. It was, oh it didn't die right away, but it died later. And um, we, another time we were moving, we took a kitten with us and he wanted me to put it in a box instead of carrying, you know, just holding it in my lap. And it freaked out in the box and tried to get out. He grabbed it by its head, rolled down my window and threw it out while we were driving. Um, wow. He would tell me if my dad didn't show up fast enough to pick me up from their house, he would tell me the next time he's late or, or it wasn't exactly that, but it was like, if I, you know, something that minor that my dad would do, if he got stuck in traffic, it would be, you know, I'm, you, you tell him that I'm gonna fucking kill him. You tell him. And of course I never said any, I never told any of this stuff. Like I wasn't going to go back. Um, one time when they picked me up from my dad's house, a dog that I had came out, was excited that somebody was here and jumped up on their truck. That was not a nice truck. It was a piece of crap. Cause again, they didn't have any money for good cars either. And he told me when I got in the car, if that dog scratched my truck, I'm going to kill your fucking dog. And my mom would just sit there like the most she'd say is Billy, you know, like he had, like he'd said a dirty joke or something like he said something inappropriate. Um, so, yeah, it was it was just a lot of mental torture. And my dad and I sued my mom uh, and my stepdad when I was 12 years old for custody for me. But while we're still going through this custody battle which goes on for over eight months I still have to live with them so imagine you know that type of terror I was 12 years old and I knew the moment they got that paperwork that <laughs> you know they were going to be pissed and it, I mean my mom cried alligator tears of you know how could I do this to her you know my stepdad again threatened to kill my family threatened told me I mean they would tell me I was a horrible human being I was a horrible child and it kind of the same where you where you you kept that kid at one point my dad let me hide out at one of my friend's houses because they were going to come take me and never let him see me again and my friend's mom she answered the phone when the sheriff department called because he finally said look here's the number where she is but I'm not telling you their address you're not going to go find her and and my stepdad again threatened to take a shotgun and kill my dad like he was ready to murder him because he didn't know where I was he didn't love me I mean he didn't he just didn't want somebody to have something that he felt was his. And um, the sheriff's office called and I remember her mom woke me up. It was like two or three in the morning and I was crying, please don't, please don't let them come take me. Please don't let them come take me. And, you know, his, or my friend's mom was, was hugging me and telling me it was going to be okay. And she'd, she'd protect me. I mean, so when you were talking about that with that little girl, that's what I was thinking of was that I had a family that did that for me. And it, it was, terrifying it's horrifying it's not that easy to just run away or to deal with these things I mean the fact that I'm not crying about it now doesn't mean that it doesn't make me sick to my stomach to even remember the way that he treated me and the way that my mom just let it all happen
I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't share a lot and you'll you'll realize this through our podcast. Our listeners will realize this. I will share certain things that I don't think mean anything. I will mm-hmm. share little minute parts of my life that I don't give a shit. As far as really, really personal things, I don't like to share that bit of information, but I did come into this podcast realizing that this podcast is bigger just than just me and you. People do seek podcasts um, for information, uh, insight to other things, to see the other side. Mm-hmm. And um, for that reason, I will share what I was talking about. I would have rather been beaten than the words that I just can't ever let go. Um, one time, my mom used to always, my mom's never a happy person. And I think that it's because she carries a lot of um, baggage and things from her childhood and, and things that happened in her young adult life. So she was never a happy person. This particular day, she came home pissed. Do you remember those bracelets that used to be done by Thread? You know, like the, I think they called them friendship bracelets. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I had one of those on. One of my mom's rules were that you can never borrow anything from anybody ever. Like, doesn't matter what it is. I don't care if it's a pencil or rock, a pair of clothes or anything. I was never allowed to have anybody else's stuff in my possession and I already knew that right but this Mm -hmm. was given to me it was a friendship bracelet from uh, another girl at school and it was given to me and I had it on so my mom's ranting and whatever this day and then she says looks at me she's like what is that on your arm like it's a bracelet and she's like where did you get that from and I told her where I got it from and she's like you know you're not supposed to borrow anything no it's not borrowed like she gave it to me like it's a it's called a friendship bracelet and and you know from one fin to another she made it for me and she gave it gave it to me and somehow that got turned in that I was lying and that I stole the bracelet and I you know tried to convince her crying I did not I did not I did not and so she made me go take a bath and she told me that when I got out, don't touch that towel. You just come in here wet in, in my bedroom because she was going to be waiting for me. So I'm in that bathtub forever because I don't want to get out because I know what's coming afterwards. I'm terrified. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I get out of the bath. There's no towel for me. I go straight to the bedroom naked and wet. And she beats the fuck out of me with an extension cord. Okay. I still have bruises on the back of my thigh from that beating. Um, So another time, I I think that I wasn't allowed to do anything. And this is probably when I got a little older. I wasn't allowed to do anything or go anywhere. And I had got to the point where I was rebellious because in my mind, if you don't have a reason that I can't go, just no is not suffice for me I wanted to go to like a homecoming football game and my mom was like no you're not going blah blah well she was working that night and my sister played uh, basketball travel basketball and so she was off with her team somewhere playing basketball and I was almost home alone my mom's at work I'm gonna go to the fucking football game so I go to the football game well she finds out that I went to the football game and you know uh 
uh, she came to my school and she's walking around my football game. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how this stuff went on. You know, that just shows you how times have changed. She was walking around the football field with a belt in her hand <gasps> with my principal looking, <gasps> looking for me. Okay. <laughs> my friends saw her and told me, and I hid behind the bleachers for a little while until one of my friends was like, just come to my house, you know? And I thought, well, fuck it. Uh, you know, either way, I'm going to get my ass beat. Whether I go home now or whether I go home then, I'm still going to get my ass beat, you know? So mm -hmm. I went. I left with my friend. I went to her house. Her mother was like, you can stay here. Don't worry about it. And it, this went on for like a week or something. Like the cops came looking for me and all this shit. And I end up uh, letting her know. Her mom was like, you've got to tell her where you are. We can't continue to har you know harbor you in here and am i using the right harbor am i using yeah that right word? yeah that's yeah right. i can't continue to do that anymore and so i'll never forget this day so i had to call her and tell her where i was at and she was like i'm coming there to get you right now and she picked me up and the whole entire time that we're driving it, it, it's not that long but it felt like forever like 10 minutes maybe 15 from the girl's house to my house the whole entire time I'm in the car, she's yelling at me, screaming at me. She's got one hand on the steering wheel and she's one hand in the back of my head and she's taking my head and she's banging it into the dashboard or banging it on the window. It, my oh head my would God. either go bam into the window or my face would go straight into the, the dashboard. So you would think like that would be the worst part of it. It wasn't. When we got home, she continues to hit me. And while she's hitting me, she's telling me, if I would have known you would have turned out like this, I would have aborted you. God. That thought will never leave my head. Right? Never leave mm -hmm. my head. I've had a discussion with my mother since being an adult about everything that I just said to you. And like you said, Pearl, Gabriel's mom, in that letter that she wrote to the court, she felt like she didn't do anything wrong. You know, mm -hmm. she felt like what she did was just. And my mom feels the exact same way. She has apologized to me in the way that she says, I'm sorry that I made you, I'm sorry that it made you feel that way. Right. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry you that feel you, that way. Right. I'm sorry that you took it that way. Yes. So, that's why I say I think that that mental and verbal abuse is uh, it's all of it's terrible. Um, I just like to take a side note, you know, as far as the things that I have decided to take on as a parent, one of them is acknowledging the things that I do wrong and apologizing for them. And I also instill this in, in our children because we're not perfect. We do things that are fucked up to people. And you have to know, like, you have to know how important it is for you to say, I know I did this. I know that it was wrong. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I didn't mean to do that. Those, those things are very important for you to say because... It means the world to somebody for you to just admit that you didn't, you said you made an error. I didn't make that error. Me being the person you abused 
I didn't make an error. You did. So I have room to find closure. I have room to see that you're human and that it's not always my fault. Right. So I may have, I don't like to cuss when I'm um, chastising my children, when I'm telling them something, but I do. I'm imperfect. I do. And I'll get mad and I'll say things, but I never, ever say things and then don't go back and say, hey, when I said so-and-so to you, it was wrong. And I apologize for that. And I know that I shouldn't have said that, but in that moment, it took over me. But I want to let you know, it wasn't right what I did. I'm sorry that I did that to you. And I never, ever want to do that again. And I tell my children, when you do something wrong, whether it's to your parents, to your friends, to your coworker, you have to, no matter how hard or uncomfortable it is, it is very important for you to acknowledge your wrongdoings and apologize for what you've done. It doesn't matter if the other person is receptive or not. It is important for you to do that because I had to teach them that and I also had to teach myself to do that because I have a parent in my life who still doesn't take responsibility for their actions and have never said, hey, I dealt with the cars that I had the best way I could. And I am so sorry that I fucked you up in the process. I'm sorry I put my hands on you. I'm sorry that I said the things that I did. I'm so, so, so sorry. If there's any way that I could go back and I could change everything, please know that I would. That would mean that that little statement right there would mean everything. You're, you're absolutely right. If my mom was still here and she could say more to me than when she asked me one time, she actually straight up asked me if there was anything she'd ever done in my life that she needed to apologize for. And the most I could say, because I was so off guard, was, well, I didn't really like Billy very much. And she said, well, I haven't liked most of the guys you've dated, but I haven't said anything to you. Oh, oh yeah. okay. That's what we're doing. So I, I, I was like, okay, we didn't really want to apologize. You wanted me to make you feel better that you had not. So I, I let it go. But exactly what you're saying is, is 100% true. And I guess the only good thing I can say about uh, Billy is that he made me want to stand up for animals more because I saw how uh, abusive he was to the animals that we had. And uh, he made me... Um, be open to all different kinds of people because he would tell me when I dyed my I dyed my hair with striped colors he told me I looked like the n-word when I had uh, remember when they used to do, you said friendship bracelets remember when they used to do the bra- the little um things in your hair I mean maybe yeah. only white girls did okay no, I got no, one no. of those did you okay I got one of those he told me I looked like the n-word and they made me take it out because no oh, kid of his even though I wasn't his who, kid this is the guy who was also racist yeah Oh, okay. Yeah, and named uh, named our cat the N word, and when it climbed up a tree one time, just stood outside screaming that word at the he cat. Named your cat nigger? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, and not with an A, you guys. <laughs> There's no A. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, wow. Anybody, anybody that came to the house and asked, oh, the cat's name's Blackie. 
but uh yeah he, that's <laughs> not the name the cat had outside and uh certainly not the name that uh he yelled when the cat was gone but um yeah he was he was he was something horrible but exactly what you said i couldn't i couldn't have said it any better was if you know if if my mom would have ever just said you know what i'm really sorry I feel like I could have at least forgiven her because she's been passed away now for a few years. And while I accept the things that happen, I don't know that I'd ever forgive her for letting me grow up like that and letting someone treat me like that and letting him abuse animals. And I just don't think I could forgive that. Right. But a lot of people in my life called me sensitive. A lot of people don't understand why I do the certain things that I do. Um, And for me, it's just really... Did you just break something? No, that was my <laughs> no, um, no. My husband just came home and opened the door and waved really quietly, and one of my dogs walked in and shook, and her tags like clink, clink, clink oh. when she shook. <laughs> and I was actually trying to like wave her away, like Shh, go, go. <laughs> oh, I thought you like dropped a glass or something. Hey, <laughs> no, no, it happened earlier when you were talking too. So I hope it didn't come through the first time. But anyway, please continue. <laughs> I was just saying that. Um, I find it really important to, if I do something to you, if I know about it, if I don't know, I don't, I don't know that I did something, but if I think that I've done something to you, or I think I might have hurt you, or I think that, um, I've said something the wrong way, I will throw everything that I have. Pride is nothing to me. I will absolutely say, look, Stacy, uh, I know that this, you know, I don't know, this is a t- hard time between us. And I know that I said this, or I know I've done that. If I could go back and change it all, I would. Uh, I, I just want to make sure that I don't leave the people who are in my life feeling like I felt. So I might have apologized more than normal or might be overly sensitive. So if you have somebody in your life, just probably know that that comes from circumstances. You know what I mean? So, right. I, um, you know what, though? I find that to be an amazing gift because as you and I know, and I would think a lot of listeners would know, that's a rarity among people because I can't tell you how many times that I feel like someone has done me wrong and I've tried to you know, talk about it, not to say, hey, you fucked up, but like to actually say, you know, that really hurts me or what you did just felt so deceitful. And they um, like automatically go on the defensive, you know, right. and there is no apology. It's like, how dare you call me out? Right. And those people, I do have those people in my life. And those people, unfortunately, it's like a trigger to my mother. It brings me ill feelings because I feel like it brings me back to her it brings me back to a person who will not acknowledge what they're doing it's almost like I feel like when you don't acknowledge it it almost comes off as if you don't care it it absolutely does and I think exactly what you said that my mom is the reason I became that person where everybody says hey you're the devil's advocate you always try to see both sides of everything and like because I I have to you know maybe I can't when I'm mad like I might not be able to apologize right away I might have to say you know what just we just need to hang up right now because I know my anger is going to get the best of me and I don't want that to be the person that I give you you know right so with I'm kind of all that Gabriel has gone through 
all that he went through and I don't know. Part of me is glad that not glad that he died. I don't want, I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just glad that his hurt is over because his hurt would have, if he would have survived, his hurt would have went far greater than his physical abuse. Um, just his siblings. I, I can tell you from my siblings point of view, her not being the victim of the physical or verbal abuse, but being there watching it and seeing it. She's told me that she's hurt just as much as I did. She told me mm -hmm. that when I was getting beat, she was in the other room crying. You that know? was Gabriel's same thing. They interviewed his siblings and one of his, his sister saw it all happen. They, they completely obviously lied when he was being beaten. He didn't fall. She watched it happen and the, you know, one of the cops that, that said to his, uh, his older brother, Ezekiel, look, I want to let you know, I'm the lead cop. I'm, you know, I'm the head of this investigation. I'm, I'm, I'm it. I'm the top tier. And I want you to know that at the end of the night, when you lay your head down, this is not your fault. Nothing that happened is your fault. And they need to hear that kids that were around the abuse, but didn't get abused quite in the same way. They need to be told it's not their fault. And they, they, they did nothing wrong. Right. Because I know that it affected my sister. Mm -hmm. I remember a conversation that we had and I remember her telling me, I have no idea how you turned out how you did. And mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? She was just like, it affected me. It changed me. And she was like, the fact, she said the fact that pretty much how you said how I chose to just carry it differently and stop, you know, everything that, you know, not let it be a generational curse. Um, she's like, I just, if anybody had told me how you were going to turn out like this, I would have said they were lying. I would have said there was no chance in hell that you would ever be able to turn out like that. So it affects more than just the person who's getting abused. It affects the siblings. It affects the household. It, it's a, it's a big ordeal, you know? So I, I just, I really, I really hope that his siblings get therapy um and I hope that everybody turns out okay and I hope that they are able to strengthen their mind and their heart and be able to continue on with life and have healthy relationships be able to have children if they want to and love them in a way that they've never been loved before I really really hope that for them Absolutely, that they can take something good from something so terrible and turn it around because I feel like you've definitely done that. I feel like I've tried to do that. So that's all you can do. If you've been abused or witnessed abuse, all you can do is try to find something good out of it so it wasn't completely a pointless part of your life. Right. And do you mean, do you mind? I mean, we've going for an hour and something. Do you mind if I, I close it? No, go ahead. I just want to end with. If you know somebody who is being abused, even if you're not sure, if your gut tells you that something is happening, step in. Don't be the person who doesn't step in. Do whatever you think you need to do. If you need to reach out to your pastor, if you need to reach out to a school guidance counselor, because if you don't know, 
the school guidance counselor is the best person to reach out to because they can call. They have a, um, they have very many points of contact that they can call to get this child help. And the fact that they see them every day and deal with them every day, they are the best people to contact when it comes to, if you think that something is happening to a child that, you know, um, so contact somebody, contact DCSF, DCS, uh, DCFC, uh, the police, your guidance, somebody. Don't, don't let your feelings escape you. Listen to your intuition. Listen, uh, listen to the child if they're telling you something. If you feel like you saw something but you're not sure, act on it anyway act on it anyway if you were wrong then you were just wrong you know but maybe you will help save a little girl or a little boy's life like gabriel just slept through the cracks so step in that that's my last words if you can do it step in I think that's a very good thing to end on. All right, Stace. <laughs> uh, an hour and 40 minutes later. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.